Hey everyone, it's Tyler from 5Tool Productions, and this is the Create Smarter Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking to Ashley Lucas. Now, she's a self-proclaimed recovering entrepreneur, but she's also the Director of Marketing at Babson College's Center for Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership. Now, we talk about literally everything. Marketing, startup life, female founders, you name it, we cover it all. So stick around. It's a great one, and it starts right now. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for coming on. Really uh, appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Awesome. So let's let's kick things off by just give me a little bit of your background as far as where you're at right now, and then we'll work our way backwards to where you are now. So give me a little insight as to where you are at Babson right now. Sure. So I always joke that I'm a recovering entrepreneur. Um, so I was in the startup space for a while, but now I'm at Babson College's Center for Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership, and I'm the director of marketing. So we have a big portfolio of a lot of different programs that help empower women to be um, or reach their full entrepreneurial potential, and I do marketing for all of them. For all of them or for the center itself? So for the center itself, but for all of the individual programs that we host at the center. That's so cool. I love it. So you and I had the conversation probably almost a year ago now, I I think about it. When I first met you, kind of finding out a little bit more about the the Wind Lab and Seawell itself. Expand on Seawell a little bit more because it, it really is an interesting program. Yeah, so one of our flagship programs at Seawell is the WIN Lab, or Women Innovating Now Lab. And it's essentially an accelerator program designed by women entrepreneurs for women entrepreneurs. So we take up to 20 uh, early stage women who are building businesses in both Boston and we have a program in Miami. And the idea is that women entrepreneurs, and there's a lot of research to back this up, women entrepreneurs face different challenges than men do as they build their businesses. So what we do really kind of two things from a content perspective. One is we give them a lot of business content, right? Everything from creating marketing personas to building financial documents. But we also take the research that's being put out by Babson College and other institutions um, that say, here are the real things women face when they are an entrepreneur and they're trying to raise money. And we take that research and we implement it into the program to say, okay, if you're going to go into a pitch room, here's the reality of the situation and here's what you need to do in order to pivot and get that check at the end of the day. And we always want them to do it authentically, but we want to make sure that they have the information that they need in order to move forward. And then in addition to all of that content, we set them up with really incredible mentors. We hold them accountable by setting milestones. And I think one of the most beautiful things that we do is we surround each of these women entrepreneurs with other women entrepreneurs, right? So you have people who you are experiencing this roller coaster ride with um, and are sort of in the entrepreneurial journey with. And I think that is probably the most valuable thing that we bring to the table. I was just going to say, how important is that? Because, you know, myself as a small business owner, you, yeah. it is very lonely. You don't realize that, that you say, oh, yeah, I'm going to be out networking, meeting all these people all the time. Yes, but at the end of the day, they're not going through the exact same problems that you are, which 
when it comes to entrepreneurship. That's the case, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, when you're out networking and having conversations, you're really selling your business and yourself a lot of the time, right? So you sort of have to present this um, rosy image of the business. You don't get to be authentic in that you don't get to talk about the really tough parts about being an entrepreneur. And that's what this space provides, right? And, and I think one of the really cool things, so a lot of accelerators, and they're all, um, I think, have their own unique value that they bring to the table. But women, in addition to, I think, facing entrepreneurial challenges in the pitch room or um, negotiating with vendors or whatever it is, the reality is that a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them also have other stuff going on at home, right? If they are, if they have kids or they're taking care of parents or whatever it is, right? Having a community where you can talk about all of it and bring your entire self to the table, I think is really important. I love that. That is awesome. And you've said the word twice already, and we'll obviously dive into this in a little bit, but the word authentic. Yeah. And just how important it is to be authentic and to be you. And that needs to carry through the business itself as well, because right. that's the, the one thing I've seen. When you try to be somebody else or you're trying to have your business be somebody else, it doesn't necessarily work for you in the yeah. long run. Yeah, and it's exhausting. I mean, <laughs> spending all of that energy trying to be something you're not is, I mean, it just takes away from the energy that you want to be putting into the business, right? And they, you know, people say, well, you know, why do startups fail? That's one of the main reasons, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, yes, the whole money thing and being sure, able to sell, sure, yes, yeah. those little things. Yeah. But when you're not yourself, you eventually just burn out and get yeah. tired. It happens. So yeah. you mentioned recovering. Yeah. I don't want you to relapse right now. <laughs> but let's talk. Okay. Give me a little bit of your background. Okay, sure. So um, so let's see. I, you know, I was one of those people, and it sounds so cliche, but I was always one of those people who knew I wanted to start a company. Um, even from a really young age. And I think my dad was an entrepreneur, so I had role models. Um, so I went to college. I got a degree in you know, economics and psychology because I thought that was the responsible thing to do. Um, got out, got a terrible job that I hated, um, and then moved over into a more creative role. And I'm a creative human, so that was really interesting to me, but I knew I wasn't on the right path. And I knew that I really wanted to start something. Um, I would do things like go to artisan markets and create jewelry or artwork or sort of small things like that. And there was something really incredible about those experiences where I was handing something over that I had created to another person who was delighted by that product, right? And and there was something really special about that. So um, I ended up going back to business school and said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to start a company. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. And um, it it will probably be around design because I'm really passionate about that, but who knows? So I'm in business school, I write two business plans around design, I end up totally scrapping them and start this digital media company geared towards the lesbian community in Boston. Um, I'm in that community, I had tons of conversations with friends who were saying that there's a lack of information in Boston around the events that are happening, right? Nobody's developing content, nobody's creating interesting experiences out of outside of the nightclub scene, right? So I'm thinking, Oh, okay. Amazing opportunity. I'm launching this thing. Launch the company, get a team of writers, do all of these events. 
two years later, I'm not making any money. I am you that know, old thing, like, right? Yeah. Like we said before about the whole making money. Right, part right, of it, right, right. Um, small, small issue. But um, so I'm doing consulting work, and and at the time, I thought I was living the entrepreneurial dream because I was working too hard. I was literally sleeping on my office floor with another entrepreneur who I shared a space with, dodging the security guard because we didn't want to get busted sleeping there, you know, and eating ramen and. Um, it was an incredible, incredible experience. But at the end of the day, it just didn't work, right? The need that I was trying to meet just wasn't strong enough. So I shut the company down. It felt like I was, I had lost the love of my life, right? I went through this major breakup. I was going to say, how yeah. how hard is that? It's, you know, I mean, yeah. it's one of the toughest feel. Like, I mean, people talk about getting punched in the gut. I mean, this yeah. feels like you're getting punched square yeah. in the face. Yeah. Well, and I see that now too, right, with all of these women entrepreneurs who I'm working with. Um, and I, I say that, you know, half of the job is being a therapist and half of the job is being a director because um, when you have to shut down your company, you, you are shutting down this thing that you have spent all of your energy um, trying to create. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs really miss out on building relationships, going to experiences, whatever it is, because they're dedicating so much of themselves to this business. So when you shut down the company, it's like losing a, a huge part of yourself. It's like it's like using losing a partner in a way. So it was pretty devastating, but I found a friend who was running a startup and did some you know, pro bono marketing work just to have something that I felt really passionately about. Um, and during that time, I had coffee with a guy who had started his own company. And he actually, I think, you know, six months later, recruited me to join his team. So I was the first employee to join that startup and really co-led um, that business with him. And it was a events and travel business uh, geared towards the gay community. And that was... So it's not too much of a pivot. No, then, no, right? no, no, no. So it actually lent itself incredibly well to what I was going to do next. Yeah, I mean, I always use the example, you know, it's someone that has a side hustle or working on the side or starting something that's completely out of their kind of typical knowledge base. It's like you're driving in fourth gear and then you drop it into reverse and say, okay, what am I doing yeah. right now? Yeah, This absolutely. doesn't seem like that's the case nearly as much. Yeah, I mean, I had established a network. I had established partnerships and relationships and all of that came over to what I was awesome. doing next. Yeah, awesome. it was really it was really a nice, um, I think, path forward. And that company was actually where I felt as though I was, and, and every entrepreneurial experience is different, but we, you know, launched new product channels. We expanded to 10 cities across the country. We got a million dollars in investment funds. And it was crazy. Um, and it was super fun. And uh, by the end of four years, I completely burnt out. I mean, mm -hmm. crying in the bathroom floor burnt out because I loved what I did so much, but it consumed so much of me that I ended up having to leave the company. So, um, so from there, I actually... Uh, because I, I feel like I had given up so much of my energy, I moved to rural New Hampshire, worked at a bread bakery for three months. No, you but, didn't. Yeah, I did. Really? And, and I didn't know this. Yeah. And, you know, in the middle of nowhere, and it was incredible, but because apparently I can't 
sit still, I then accepted a job at Babson College as the director of this accelerator program um, part-time, and I signed on to do uh, PR for a Top Chef contestant, right? So I'm doing three jobs when I'm supposed to be sitting on a farm relaxing when you your goal was to <laughs> i'm going to step back and i'm going to breathe a little bit right so that that doesn't necessarily happen and i've noticed that myself kind of the same thing as soon as i say as soon as i get comfortable i need to do 52 card pickup right then and there because yeah. like something's not right yeah. i can't have this that's not okay right yeah, exactly exactly so you know it, and it was i was thrilled for the experience i learned so much and i think that's one of the best things about being an entrepreneur you're always learning and I got to learn some of the stuff I really didn't want to do, right? I don't want to be in the food business. I know that. I don't want to be in PR. I had a great time. Definitely don't want to do that. Um, and, you know, the the Babson job was great. And it's the reason that I am where I am now. Talk about the learning part because that's the one thing that I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize. You know, you go into it thinking you know everything. <laughs> Some people do. Yeah. You find out so quickly mm. how little you actually know mm-hmm. about even the things that you thought you were really strong in, I mean, myself included. I thought, okay, I'm a great shooter. I'm a great editor. I'm a pretty good marketer. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out I'm okay at those things. <laughs> still learning a whole heck of a lot. And from a marketing perspective, I I mean, I've worked with companies small and large where I've marketed the crap out of them. And Mm -hmm. they have, you know, demand gen, we've done branding and everything has worked really well. But when it comes to my own, it's a completely different story. And almost I feel like I'm in my own way at times too, from that perspective. Mm -hmm. How do you break that barrier? Yeah, so I think, you know, if you're going into anything new, just having the mindset that you are going to be a student, right? Um, And I think that's true for almost anything in life, right? There's always opportunity to learn and making sure that you are excited about that. Um, And today there are so many resources, free tools out there that you can utilize that it it just makes everything a lot easier. Um, But, you know, I think when you're sort of faced with I want to start a company, I want to start a new project, whatever it is, whatever the new thing is where you are going to be learning. One of the things we actually talk about at Babson is called entrepreneurial thought and action, or ETNA. And it's essentially a mindset, right? Where you go in and you say, and this is very oversimplified, but you say, okay, I have this really big, lofty goal that I want to achieve in X number of years, or whatever it is. And then you say, what can I do? today with the resources that I have today in order to take one small step forward. And then the next day I take another step and then the next day I take another step and then you pivot along the way, right? And maybe that dream that you th- you had changes based on the information you're collecting, and, and right? I had someone gave me that great advice a long time ago. You saying, you know, your goal might be, and this is when I was 22 and I was yeah. interviewing for a job as a, a TV anchor somewhere and yeah. he said, do you want to become an anchor and move around the country, place to place, wife and kids, um, in 10 years, finally make it back to Boston. Or 20 years, finally make it back to Boston. And I thought about the journey. And I said, the, the journey sounds fun, sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. And the news director at the time told me, said, the one thing to remember is that your goal right now might not be your goal in 20 years. Yeah. So even though you set that in place right now, 
you're going to shift. You're going to pivot. The boat is going to right itself sometimes, right? You're not necessarily going to land where you think you are. And if you do, that might not necessarily be where you want to be right. by the age of 45, right. like so on and so forth. And that's one thing to remember. While it's good to have the goal, it's not set in concrete by any stretch mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, and I think in terms of the learning piece of it, it the goal probably should change, right? I mean, if you're in the case of starting a company, you're starting to talk to customers, you're starting to test product, all of that information, all of that learning that you're getting in is likely going to change what that product looks like in the end. And that's a really good thing versus, you know, I'm going to build an app and spend $50,000 and do exactly what I think it should look like in you know, the next six months versus taking it step by step, getting customer feedback along the way, having these small failures or learning experiences, and then ultimately developing the right thing at the end of the day and not losing out on spending all of that money for a product that just doesn't work. Well, that, that's one of the things <clears throat> we just had someone in um, about a week ago, or actually on Monday, excuse me, and he was talking about do you build the audience first or do you build the product first? And that's the big question. And I think a lot of people say, oh, I built this cool product, but does anybody actually want it? Right. Is it actually useful? Right. And then on the flip side, you could build up this massive audience that's huge, but then you say, all right, I really have no idea what they want. Right. So he's trying to do things in tandem, yep. right? Build the audience. And then as he builds the audience, build the features on the app, continue to build the audience continue to build those features, exactly. right? And I think that's the, the right way to approach it. Yeah. Um, because otherwise, you could spend a big chunk of dough really fast that nobody wants. Exactly. Right? And that's exactly. what ends up happening. Yeah. So let, let's let's talk marketing. All right. All right. Because this is, I, I was anxious to talk about marketing with you in particular because I know that that's kind of your sweet spot. Mm. And obviously, your <laughs> what you do on a day-to-day basis. So you see all of these kind of startups come through Mm -hmm. what are their questions kind of their first biggest pain point when it comes to marketing and kind of telling their story so to speak what's their biggest issues well I think one of the things that I see most often is that people are so excited about their product or their offering that they just want to show it to the world right and they put it out on social channels or through content or whatever it is without necessarily thinking through what that marketing strategy looks like, uh, without necessarily taking the time to really sit down and develop the customer personas, for example, um, and not necessarily putting the numbers behind it, right? So, And I think we live in a world where we're so obsessed with social media, and that is absolutely true for me as well. Definitely. But, yeah. That's not the only thing. Right, exactly. I mean, you get, get wrapped up in it and say, right. oh, Facebook, I can go ahead and put this out there, and yeah. it's going to work wonders. It's not the end-all, be-all for right. marketing. Right, right. right. So, so I think taking the time to really, you know, I talk about it as taking time to work in the business, right? So all of this execution and taking time to work on the business. And that's really where the strategy is, right? So sitting down and saying, I've got this great product, who actually is my customer? And then based on that, who, you know, what are the correct channels? And then ensuring that you have all of the analytics behind them, right? So a lot of times I see people going on Instagram and having all of these ads or Facebook or developing content, but at the end of the day, what are the numbers telling you? And in addition to that, being able to sit down and accurately, 
I mean, to the best of your ability, accurately project what, how much money you're going to have to put behind this, right? Because I think if folks took the time to sit down and say, I want to, you know, I need 100 new customers, I think 3% of my email list will convert, that means I need to sign up X number of people on my email list, which then corresponds with, you know, Facebook ads or Instagram ads or whatever it is. Taking the time to map that out and really looking at the numbers or looking at the amount of time that you have to spend managing all of that is important. And especially when you're an early stage business, I think it gives you a really clear framework or indication of what the future is going to look like. Because sure, a lot of folks do it organically, but you've got to have some cash to put behind your marketing plan. Um, and if not in the first three months, maybe then the next three. And if you don't, it's just going to be a struggle. And you're going to fight every single yeah. day with yeah. and this goes back to the goal thing right of having you know if your goal is to be a 20 million dollar company that sells microphones just because yeah. we're looking at <laughs> microphones right now if you're a 20 million dollar company that sells microphones that's your goal yeah that's wonderful but to be able to work back from that exactly. and understand like what you said what are the steps three six nine twelve two years, three years, so on and so forth, in order to get to that $20 million. And if it's $20 million in three years, well, like you said, pony up the cash yeah. because you're going to yeah. need to spend a lot to get to that goal. Yeah. And you have to recognize that because I think a lot of folks think, and I, you know, I fall into the trap too at times, say, well, everybody's on social. Everybody's yeah. on Instagram. I can just reach everybody. I can post my ad up there and kind of I'm good to go, right? That's everything that works. Do people put too much focus on social, though, and not enough on kind of traditional methods, even PR in a sense sometimes? Do, do, and I think that that's what I've seen a lot of is that people think that social right now is the only channel mm -hmm. that they can use to get their message out there as opposed to even in-person events, sponsoring something. I mean, I know traditional medias can cost a, a lot of money, but it do doesn't mean it doesn't work. There are things that do work. What, what are you seeing? I mean, what's kind of your thoughts when people say, uh, I, I want to market this company. I'm just going to put it on social. Yeah, I, I mean. It's tough. Yeah, so I, I think the first thing I have to say is, I am a sucker for beautiful Instagram and Pinterest images, right? You and me both. Yep. And, yeah, and every day you see these people on these channels who have built these huge audiences and you think they've done it overnight, right? So I think we're living in this world of kind of a false reality that things are actually really easy if you just have beautiful images and use hashtags. So that that's sort of that soapbox statement. Mm -hmm. But, you know, social is great, um, but is that where your audience is, right? We are seeing more and more if we're targeting, let's say, women in the 25 to 34 range, Facebook isn't cutting it anymore. I mean, I'm not, I'm a marketer and I don't really go on Facebook that much, right? If you want to get in front of me, Instagram, blog posts, things of that nature. My sense is that entrepreneurs who are just starting, right, who have this sort of, um, I like to say starry-eyed entrepreneurs with this great idea, but they haven't really dug in yet. It's easy to fall into that false reality of, as long as I focus on the three biggest social media channels, people are going to buy my product. And that's just not true. And once you start doing the testing, then it's, okay, let's sit down and think about this, right? Where, who is my 
audience. Where am I going to find them? What content are they reading? What events are they going to, to your point? Um, and where can I meet them where they're already at? And that's not always going to be social. It's really it, it's, not. It comes back to the persona every single time. Yeah. It really does. Because it, I've gone through the through the challenges with companies that I've worked for in the past. And you say, okay, it, and you're using the health club example as a perfect example of it because we had clubs in Massachusetts, Washington, D.C., in Miami, San Francisco. Those are very, very different clientele. We're talking politicians in D.C., yeah. big business owners. In Miami, it's kind of what you would think, very Zumba-focused, right? Um San Francisco, that, that tech startup. So we were talking to people of all different ages in different regions. And yeah. that was one thing that is kind of the thing that I always look to and I go back to is starting with that end customer because they're not all the same and the messaging can't be the same to every right. single customer. And I don't care if you're a new business and I don't care if you're a, a company that's existed for 20 years. Yeah. That's what you need to do. And audiences change over the course of time. Yeah. And that's the other kind of pieces to look at what you're doing, seeing is it working and can you shift some of your spend to say, oh, this doesn't work. How hard is it to bring? I mean, for a new company, you, you mentioned kind of the, the starry-eyed excitement. Yeah. That's, I, <laughs> that happens to me almost every single day. This is what we're going to do. We're going to attack the yeah. world, and I feel like I'm going to run down the street with a flag and plant it somewhere. I just don't know where. Yeah. But I think even sometimes it's harder for businesses that are established to oh, yeah. change their ways and start thinking just because that's how you've done it. Or, you know, Facebook's a great example. They might have been extremely successful, excuse me, successful for the last four years. And then guess what just happened? They just turned the air off. Right. Right. That organic right. reach has gone kaput. Now right. you have to spend money. So talk to that a, a little bit more about an established business having to pivot especially from a marketing perspective. Right. So one of the things that we do every year after the – so the, the the Win Lab Accelerator program I had mentioned, it's a five-month program. Mm -hmm. And at the end of those five months, we send a survey out to the entrepreneurs and we say, what can we do better? What did you really love? What can we do better? And then in addition to that, we also sit down and say, okay, who who are we actually serving really well, right? Is it the – entrepreneur with an idea? Is it the entrepreneur who has a beta but really needs to get the business off the ground? Is it the entrepreneur who's been in business for three years and just needs to revitalize the company or think about scaling? Um, and we sit down and look at the data that we're receiving from the entrepreneurs. We're looking at the impact that we think we've had on their businesses and then saying, okay, is our customer persona the same? And it's not every year. It's just not. And it really mm. has morphed over the last last six years where the the uh, when the program after the program had launched. And I think that is a really important exercise for us to do every single year. Sometimes it feels like it's it's wasted time because, you know, we end up thinking, yeah, no, no, this is the right audience. This is where we're really having impact. This is where we're sitting in the larger ecosystem in terms of um, you know, uh, providing a, a product that doesn't exist with this accelerator, this accelerator, right? Um, and from there, I can then go in and say, okay, this is where we're going to get the most engagement. The per the persona is a uh, you know woman in Boston between the ages of you know tw 24, twenty four and to 35, whatever. whatever right? 
here is where they are. Here, here are the podcasts they're listening to. Here is the content that they're consuming. Here is the social channel that they're on and developing a marketing plan from there. And I think, but, but even we get caught up in this well, you know, we did it that way last year, and it worked out pretty well. So let's just do it Doing the exact again. same thing, yeah, this works. Fine. Yeah, and um, and I think the larger you are as a corporation, the more difficult it becomes. So implementing something where you can say, okay, let's just stop for a minute and make sure that we are doing the thing that we really need to be doing and that we are targeting the person we really need to be targeting. And and actually, to your point, I had this really interesting experience the other day where I was sat down with one of our entrepreneurs in Miami. Um, she has this cool sort of in-home chef cooking experience. Mm-hmm. Still's really kind of trying to figure out who her target market is. She thought it was a single woman in her 30s um, who didn't want to spend a lot of time cooking. But when she sat down, she said, Ashley, I've been running all of these marketing tests and it's so interesting because actually the person who needs me the most is the mom with two kids who works full time because I provide a huge amount of value to her. And, and then we sat down and we looked at her marketing strategy and said, okay, how are we going to adjust this in order to reach that customer? And it ch- I mean, it changed everything for her, right? It was really incredible. That's awesome. And one of the things you just said that I think is so incredibly important is to ask ask you know you mentioned you ask you put out a survey at the end of the year if someone has an audience and you're starting to wonder what are they actually interested ask them yeah ask them one of um work with a vacation rental company and one of the things they do really well is asking the vacationers say what are you reading these days yeah ask them that they want to know they want they're they're helping you tailor your message to them even more. Now, don't get me wrong. Some people are going to say, why are you asking me all these questions? Don't drive them crazy with sure. 500. <laughs> but 10 questions and 10 responses go a long way. Excuse me, not 10 responses, 10 answers sure. um, to 10 different questions go a long way when it ha- comes to kind of tailoring your marketing and tailoring it to the it, it, People forget that. Just ask. Yeah. Just go out there and ask. Yeah. Well, and especially if you're an earlier stage company, People are so excited about what you're doing. I had a phone call from somebody the other day who said, oh, do you know if that entrepreneur launched her business yet? Because I signed up for her beta, and, and I, I don't know if I'm in the initial beta group. I really want to take a look at this product and help her out, right? So it's, it's asking, and I think understanding that people really want to help, and you can take advantage of that, and it actually feels really good to them. Uh, to feel like they're providing value or information so that you can be more successful. Awesome. I love that. That's awesome. You're like a walking soundbite today. (laughs) I just want to let you know that. This is great. So let's uh, kind of wrap it up because I know you have to go as well. Um, I want to talk just women in the space right now. It's it's an interesting time. You you feel like so much progress is being made, Mm. but there's just – crazy challenges and hurdles still it feels like my wife's an entrepreneur running a business on the side two kids everything you just talked about basically right. and out straight crazy um but it just it seems like there are just still so many hurdles and challenges ahead why is that yeah. do you feel like yeah and it's a loaded question sure so. i mean yeah we could dedicate hours to this right but and we probably should let but. me yeah yeah so um okay so l- let's see i'll f- try to focus on a couple of things so um the good news 
is that if you read content about the startup ecosystem, you're going to see a lot more articles about how women are facing really unique challenges, right? More awareness is happening. Uh, more organizations, and, and I'm talking about venture-backed businesses here. So I'm just going to focus in on yep. them, right? So folks yeah. who are uh, looking folks that for are looking to raise capital. Money. Somewhere. Yep. yep. Um, you see angel groups popping up that are led by women because research shows that if there is a woman investor on the team, um, they are significantly more likely to invest in a woman entrepreneur. Uh, so you see that happening. You see research coming out about the specific challenges that women are facing. For example, uh, research that came out of Babson essentially said, it doesn't matter if you are a man or a woman, if you are in a pitch room and you are presenting traditionally masculine traits, being aggressive, being confident, um, things like that, you are significantly more likely to get funded than if you present these you know, traditionally feminine traits, soft-spoken, um, I think warmer, right, lower voice, things like that, you are likely not going to get that investment. So the information is being dispersed. The problem is uh, there is not, there hasn't been a huge amount of um, traction. So in 2014, Babson came out with this study that essentially said 3%, less than 3% of venture capital money is going to women CEOs, right? So think about that. 97% of all of the money going out in the VC world is going to men, male CEOs. It's, it's crazy. When you think of it, I mean, that alone should just be like, I don't know, painted on the walls yeah, everywhere. Exactly. It's crazy. And and more and more people are starting to talk about it, right? That, But that number hasn't changed. That number has not it hasn't changed. shifted. No. And, and there are a couple of different things that are going on here. And actually, we're we're having an event where globally we are inviting researchers, investors, and entrepreneurs to come together in June to have a conversation for this impact day to figure out what can we do? Like, what are the actual tactical things that we can do? So, so some of it is, you know, women don't necessarily have the same networks as men do, right? It's sort of, it's this old boys club that they can't break into. Um, accelerators are predominantly men. So um, it's more difficult for women to break into those networks, right? And those are the guys who, the accelerators are the places where you're gonna start creating those connections with the venture capital firms and with the angel firms. Um, Pipeline is a major issue, right? I think a lot of male investors are coming out and saying, you know, it's not about men and it's not about women. It's about um, I invest in the entrepreneur who's going to do the best job, right? But that means they have to sit down and actually talk to that entrepreneur. And when your entire network is male, it's going to be very difficult it's for those women entrepreneurs to get a seat at the table with you. So there are all of these different things that are happening that are making it very difficult for women um, to get into the pitch room. And then when they get into the pitch room, there are all of these implicit biases that are that are popping up that people just aren't even aware of, right? So, so those are kind of all, those are some of the reasons that it is really difficult for women entrepreneurs. I mean, there's there are fewer role models, there are fewer mentors, all that stuff. And and I went through a major accelerator in Boston. When I walked into the mentor matching room with over 200 people, there was one women mentor, one. Really? And I was one of, I think, eight uh, female CEOs out of a group of 125, right? And that just makes it tough. Yeah. Um, 
and I won't well, get you, you, you just want I mean, at the end of the day you want someone that kind of looks and feels like you at the sense yeah. right it's just that familiarity type thing yeah right? and there's there's all of this research that essentially says you know the more that role models l- look like you the more you believe you know if they did it I can do it and yep. if the cover no of question. all these magazines no question are you, you all think of men, oh yeah. here's for me it's here's the guy that was a in TV and traditional media right. at one point in time right. made the shift. Right? right, That's interesting to me. Right. That's I look up to that person, right? right? So yeah. it, it makes perfect sense. It yeah. really does. Yeah. Yeah, so for anybody listening, if, if you can be a role model, be a role model. <laughs> it's incredibly important. It really, really is. we got to change it. Yeah. We're going to work on it. Yeah. Ashley, honestly, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, I appreciate pleasure. This is awesome. This yeah. is, I think I have a feeling we'll probably talk to you again. <laughs> we'll continue this conversation. Yeah. No if, ands, or buts about it. So for folks want to learn more about the Wind Lab and we'll learn more about Seawell, where should they go? Yep. So uh, if you want to learn more about the Wind Lab, uh, just go to thewindlab.org. Uh, you'll find out all of the information applications actually are going live in uh, just a few months. And then you can find the Center for Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership at babson.edu backslash Sewell, C-W-E-L. That's awesome. Ashley, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Awesome. She is Ashley Lucas. I'm Tyler Pyburn. This has been Create Smarter. You'll hear us next time.